Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. I think there will always be things you wish you'd done differently, or things that you didn't do, people you didn't visit. I think that there are things that people bottle up because they're too terrible to share, and they carry a load. That man certainly did. We're nearing the end of the series, so this week we're not going to focus on one specific life and regret, rather thoughts of someone who has dealt with many. Her name is Corenza Hayhoe, and besides having the best name ever, she's 80 and has spent years supporting and listening to the sick, dying and bereaved as a hospital chaplain, a lay chaplain and finally as a lay minister. Going into these interviews, I usually have a list of questions ready, just in case, but I didn't need them this time. I just needed to listen. I'm Georgina Skull, and you're listening to Regrets of the Dying. I worked as a hospital chaplain, as I think you know. The first and only um, female lay civilian that the Navy's ever had. I remember going to the um, the um, vestry door and meeting this guy who was six foot four, I think. And he looked on a horrified look. He said, but but you're a woman. So I said, yes, I know. I'd just like three months trial. And we became very close friends. It was a fascinating job. I took the police to the mortuary uh, with the families for them to identify bodies. I sat with the dying and I had the most amazing four years. Well, I have to go back to the beginning. Um, I always say that it was a cat who taught me that you don't run away from death. Um, having been an evil wife on my own, my cat was a great resource. And then he had kidney failure and it was necessary to, I don't like the word euthanasia, but have him put down went to the vet and the vet said, oh, that's all right, leave him with me. And I walked away. And I thought, you bitch, you cow, you, that animal stood by you. He allowed you to mop up tears on his ears. He was there when you needed him and you walked away and left him. And I've never walked away from death since. So I got the message that there was a man um, in the men's medical who was dying and the family were there and they thought it would be a good thing if the chaplain went along and joined them. I'm somewhat scared because this was the very beginning, I'd never done anything like this. I went in and there were half a dozen people waiting quietly and a whole lot of machines and monitors, you know, green lines, zigzag lines. And there was a man lying on the bed, quite still, 
holding a crucifix, just a little one, which apparently he'd had with him um, in the Atlantic when his ship had been um, torpedoed and he was in a, with half a dozen men who managed to escape. So this was very important to him. And we sat there and it was beginning to get dusk. And he began chain stoking, which is when you get this rattly breath and a long pause and you think that's it. And then the rattly breath comes again. And we sat there and we sat there. And someone said, he'll go when the tide goes out, which is quite an, an old belief. And it was nearly dark when the gaps became longer and longer. And then suddenly something happened. All I can tell you is that there was a sound of a rushing mighty wind in that room. The curtains blew out of the window and then it was quiet and all the zigzag lines on the green lines were flat and he'd gone time I've ever had such a dramatic experience I can't put feelings into it except it was silent it certainly wasn't frightening but something fundamental had happened and we'd been there and he'd gone much much later story um, woman in her oh she was old but she was younger than I am now, Mrs. Lord. And I got to know her very well. She was um, a very devout Roman Catholic, but a very down-to-earth sort of woman. And she was in a six-bedded ward, and I got a panic call. Would you go and see Mrs. Ward, Mrs. Lord? She's worried. And I went in, and um, she said, Last night, they brought somebody into that bed over there. Now, that bed over there was diagonally opposite her by the window. And the lady came in with her husband and her son, and they drew the curtains. And I believe she died about midnight. And the son and the husband went home. And everybody else was asleep. And round about six o'clock I was still awake when that lady came out from behind the curtain and she moved to the middle of the ward and then she moved towards the corridor. I could only see her from the waist up. Now that makes sense because Mrs Lord was almost flat on her back so she would not have been able to see more than waist up. But she said she moved down the ward towards the doorway where there was a brilliant light and she disappeared into the light. Was it real? And all I could say was, Mrs Lord, if it was real to you, it was real. I asked Carenza what she thought happens at the end. What happens to us when we die? What do I think happens? 
and this wonderful poem that I carried. I have seen death too often to believe in death. And I, I do profoundly believe that the body is left, but there is something within us that continues. And it's, it's difficult to explain that, but I've seen it too often to believe it really is an end. It is part of the continuum of being. It is a process. I'll tell you another story. This time it concerns a girl of 18. And I was called after the death of, had occurred, the death of her grandfather. And the family, probably about four or five adults, were all gathered in the coffee room next door to the single ward where um, the grandfather's body was. And they were all, for their own benefit, focusing on the girl, protecting her from this death. I thought, this is terrible. She's going to have, she's going to go on with her life, knowing that something dreadful had happened. And so I said, I put out my hand and I said, would you like to come and see your grandfather? The hate that was generated round me was intangible. <laughs> I thought, blow that. I took her hand and she like a lamb, she came with me. We went into the next room where Grandad was lying on his back, having been laid out. And she looked at him and she said, "Is that all?" And I said, "Yes, that's all." And we went back to the other room. When my husband died, my first husband died. They rang me. They knew that I had a hospital background. So the ward sister rang me and she said, your husband arrested at seven o'clock. <laughs> arrested? Yeah, okay, I was a, she knew I'd been a hospital chaplain, but it did strike me as a strange word to use in the circumstances. But anyway, I went up and he was in the side ward and I sat beside him quite deliberately, not looking at his face, but holding his hand. And the thing that still stays with me is that he did not feel as dead as I'd expected. There was something somewhere still there. With all the recent talk of baby boomers, Generation Xers and Millennials, I wondered whether she thought different generations regretted things in different ways. You know, maybe we expect more now, so we regret more. I doubt it. I think we're all put together in much the same way. There are things we're ashamed of, which wish had never happened, things very often that you didn't do rather than things that you did do. I think of a lady with in a dark blue dressing gown who sent for me and she said, they told me they can't do anything for me. Um, and I'm feeling guilty because I, I don't want to leave my husband. Is that wrong? And I had to say, no, I don't feel that that's wrong, that you don't want to leave him. Because each one of us was created in love, and that's love. And in that, she seemed to relax. Another occasion I was called 
men surgical. There was a man who just had a knee operation and he'd had a flashback and he was in a very panicky state. And there was a splendid um, Red Cross welfare worker. And this guy would come up to the Red Cross room and one day when I was in there, he came up and he said, I'm leaving, I brought you some chocolates, put some rosy chocolates down on the table and went. And we felt this wasn't, there was something wrong. So we followed him and we found him sitting on a bench, looking down the slope towards the gate. And this guy was sitting there holding his two, two walking sticks so tight that his hands had the color of mustard. And we sat down either side of him and his head was thrown back. He certainly was not in the here and now, he was somewhere else. We'd been puzzling all the time what his service background was because it didn't add up. He claimed he was with this regiment or that regiment, depending on what day it was. And Sally, the Red Cross girl, suddenly had an inspiration, SAS. That would explain why he'd been with so many different regiments. And she said very quietly, did you have to kill your friend? Pure inspiration. And slowly he came back to where we were mentally. Yes, he had. Malaysian jungle, they'd been ambushed. And he, as a corporal at that stage, was the senior one. And there were four others one of whom had been very, very badly injured. And he reckoned that he could get the able-bodied out through the jungle, and he had a hope of rescuing them. But the guy he'd actually joined the army with, his best mate, was so badly injured, he had to shoot him. This guy had tried to pretend he was a human robot, that he could cope, and he'd carried this load for some 20 years of having killed his best mate. You said you talk about regrets before death. There's certainly a lot who don't talk about them who choose to shove them out. I think that there are things that people bottle up because they're too terrible to share, and they carry a load. That man certainly did. Others long for death. In the same place, there was a woman who had a photograph beside her bed, and she said, every night I say goodbye to him. It won't be much longer now. I'll be with you soon. I think the simplest regret and the most tragic was young parents who had, were saying goodbye to, I don't remember if it was his parents or her parents. They thought that their two-year-old was secure in the back garden. They picked up the body in two pieces. And I was 
caught on. They were coming in to well, the, the petty officer who was looking after the clothes and things like that was afraid they were going to ask to have her clothes back. Mercifully, they just asked for her hat because she was so proud of her hat. Yes, and they had to live with the regret that she got into the road. They asked me just to drive them down to the seafront because they were going to go for a walk. I never saw them again. After talking to so many people over the last six months, I wondered if Corenza thought it was possible to live a life without regret. I don't see how, no. I think there will always be things you wish you'd done differently or things that you didn't do, people you didn't visit. Maybe somebody who's not very bright and you laughed at them because it was the current thing to do when you were young. Things you can't go back and undo. Yeah, I think we all make mistakes. I think there's always a sense of, I wish I'd done it, I wish I'd had time to finish it, I wish I hadn't done it quite like that. Some people will have big regrets, someone, some will have little niggling regrets. But as you're approaching an end, whether it's death or emigration or whatever it may be, and you realise there are things that you haven't done, you must love yourself, live with yourself, and perhaps forgive yourself. Corenza is an intelligent, charismatic woman who has lived a long and varied life. Near the end of our conversation, I told her the person who helped set up a meeting thought she wouldn't have any regrets. Wouldn't have any. I said no. She thought you weren't the kind of person to regret things. Regrets. I think I would have to ask you to turn your machine off. Will you turn it off? I said I could. She said... Please. You've been listening to Regrets of the Dying. If you like this programme, then please subscribe and rate it on iTunes or the Acast app. The more positive reviews we get, the easier it will be for other people to find us. Next time. I don't think there's a secret to life. I think the secret to life is you're lucky to have it. Life is an incredible thing. This was a proper podcast with support from Acast. Goodbye and thanks for joining me.